church. My name is Reddy. I'm here to read the scripture for today. Um, it's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossus who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the God's people, which come from your confidence, hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the place, all over the world. Um, it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truths about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Ephards, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love of others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has ennobled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Amen. Amen. We can invite Pastor CJ now. Thank you. Thank you, Reddy. Great job. That was a lot of scripture to read. It's going to be a lot to study. So we're going to be here for about another three hours, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, so uh, we are starting a new series today called Colossians, and uh, we're studying the book of Colossians, written by Paul to the Christians in Colossae. And uh, there's, there's some stuff happening in Colossae. First of all, you see at the very beginning that um, Paul has actually never met these Christians. He's never met these people. It was Epaphras who brought the gospel to them, and he's writing this letter to them. And uh, Paul starts by praising them. They're doing so great. Uh, and that's true because they were doing really good. And we'll, we'll jump a little bit more into that in just a second. Um, but, but this letter really is written to deal with some pressures that the Colossians were experiencing. There were three primary pressures that I just want to mention. There was, uh, from, and from, it was from society, the culture around them, the society around them. One was mystical polytheism. So this is sort of a Greek um, uh, theology or Greek mysticism uh, sort of influencing their beliefs. Then there was um, a Jewish community there and sort of the pressure to observe the Jewish law, the Torah. And then there was a third uh, sort of pressure, um, and that was towards asceticism. 
which uh, asceticism is when you are sort of a, den- a person who denies yourself. You just kind of are always like, I just, uh, just not going to enjoy life. I just, you know, I'm, yeah, I don't know if anybody of you are like that, but sort of the stoic perspective towards if you're like that, dude, don't worry, we'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, this stoic perspective towards life, um, it was a, an ascetic perspective that was sort of a denial of all things worldly and fleshly. So um, you just don't really enjoy anything. Um, so if you type in Google asceticism, you'll see a bunch of people who are really skinny. Um, that's sort of their thing. Um, have you, uh, so they're experiencing pressures. We were at the beach um, last week. We went on vacation, and it was really fun. Thank you, by the way, team, all of you who helped last week. Thank you so much. You guys are awesome, and you did such a great job. Uh, everything was awesome. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody, very, very much. Um, <clears throat> Nicole and I were able to go on vacation. We went to one of our favorite places ever, which is the Oregon coast, and we stayed at a different beach this time. We stayed at a place called Arch Cape, which was... Um, it's like, it's not as big, expansive of a beach. I like the Oregon coast because they have expansive beaches. You know, you just walk for forever. Uh, but this beach, not so much. It was a little shallower of a beach. And um, because of that, the waves would hit the beach a lot harder. The waves were a lot bigger, um, a lot scarier. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Um, and so we got out there, maybe it was the first day. And my daughter, Lila, it's like our thing. It's like one of my favorite things with her is to take her out into the waves. But because the waves were a bit bigger this time, it was really hard to tell. You know, have, have you ever been to the beach and you can't really tell how far you are? Like you don't know. It's just like, okay, this seems like it should only go up to my ankles and then it's coming up, you know, to your waist. And, and uh, so that happened. Um, so I wandered out there a bit. The waves are crashing. It's cold. And it's like, oh, they're far out there. They're not going to, you know, crash over us or anything or knock us over. Well, uh, yeah. So Lila, we're walking out there and the water comes up pretty much to my waist and I'm lifting Lila out of the water. She's terrified. And um, from that moment on, she did not want to go play in the waves anymore. And I was devastated because that's like my favorite thing to do. I'm like, I ruined it. I ruined it. The whole vacation is ruined. Uh, have you ever experienced something like that in life? Maybe uh, you were good up to this point. The pandemic, maybe it didn't get to you. Maybe COVID didn't get to you. Maybe you haven't lost anybody. Maybe you have, but it hasn't really gotten to you. You're doing okay. Like, you just got it. But then there is a wave. There's one final thing that kind of gets you and knocks you over. And now you're either afraid or you're confused or you don't really know what to do, but, but that same courage, that same confidence that you used to have, it's sort of been, it's almost like you got the wind knocked out of you. Has you ever, you ever experienced that before? That's sort of what is happening with the Colossians. They're going good with Jesus, but it's almost like it's just constant pressure, constant thing. It's wearing on them, and maybe there's one more thing that finally knocks them down and gets them like, like Peter walking on the waves. It just gets them off. Just get them off just a little bit. I've noticed that uh, when it comes to our faith, people, sometimes people will make a 180 degree turn from Jesus. But I've noticed more often, it's a one degree turn. 
It's a very subtle shift. And it's a result of the pressures of the culture around us. It's a small change to our theology, a small difference of how we interpret a a specific verse or scripture. And that gets us off track. And then once you do just one small little thing, then it turns into a couple more degrees until finally we're not even following Jesus anymore. We've deconstructed so much that we're not even, we don't even know, we don't even have anything. There is no faith. We have created something brand new. By the way, that's called syncretism, uh, is when we allow the culture to determine our faith, when we allow it to change what we believe, when we interpret scripture through culture instead of letting scripture interpret our lives, our world. So uh, it's a one-degree turn. And the, the key verse for the entire letter of Colossians is found in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'm just going to read it here, and then we'll start unpacking these verses. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You don't need to look any other direction. You don't need to shift even one degree from Christ. He is enough. He is enough. Um, amen? Amen. Okay, let's jump in. Let's start unpacking this. So as I mentioned, Paul has never actually been to Colossae before. He, uh, it was Epaphras or, or Epaphras, I've heard it pronounced different ways, um, who brought the gospel to the Colossians. <clears throat> Paul had never been there. And uh, uh, Epaphras actually was, is a Colossian. And so at some point, maybe he was traveling and the gospel came to him and he gave his life to Jesus and he brought that back home and uh, he shared it with maybe some friends and some family. They shared it with friends and family and so on and so forth. And this grassroots movement took place in Colossae. This is an example of the organic nature of the gospel, of the gospel movement um, through the world and in people's lives. Uh, He says that, um, let's see, let's read it right here. He says that uh, the gospel, so this same good news that came to you, is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. It's the power of the gospel. Notice that it's not the power of, of man. It's the power of God. Um, Paul says it again in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. And because it's the power of God, it can't be contained to just human constructs. And it's not just limited to how well we do a service or how any church does a service. It's not, it's not contained in a building. It is moving throughout the world. It is inside of you. I, I, was, I was thinking about this and just how uh, uh, it's believed, according to um, the Gospel Coalition, that the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Um, check this out. About 20 years ago, this is a quote from an article of uh, the Gospel Coalition. About 20 years ago, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was about 5,000 to 10,000 people. Today, 
it's, a, it's between 800,000 to, 800, to 1 million people. According to the Operation World Iran, uh, which is a, a, a company, in, uh, an organization operating out there, has the, uh, according to them, it has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. Um, as I was studying that, reading about that, just this last week, I found out that it is now believed that the fastest growing church in the world is the church in Afghanistan. And it's because of Iranian Christians. They don't have any buildings. They don't have any bank accounts. They don't have any uh, money. They don't have any lights. It is the power of God. It is the power of the gospel that changes lives. It is the most powerful force on earth because it is changing lives. And it is what I have experienced and it's changed my life. And it's maybe what you have experienced. If it has experienced your, your uh, if you have experienced this life-changing power, you know, have you experienced this life-changing power? Do you know what this is? You can be responsive. You can say yes and amen if it has changed your life. It is changing the whole world. It still is. Ever since Paul wrote this about Colossae, it is still going out and it cannot be contained. Amen. It is the power of God that transforms and changes lives. Okay, so then Paul says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's praises go into a prayer. So there's actually two prayers that Paul prays for the Colossians. The first one is this one that we just read, that he, that God would give them uh, knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, which was desperately needed for the church in Colossae. Because as I mentioned, they don't have any support they have any infrastructure, no organization, and no education. So they don't have any Bible degrees. You know, they, they're just kind of uh, Jesus. <laughs> they're just doing their thing. And so um, because of, by the way, um, there's a need for that. You know, uh, what was happening in Colossae was there's some heresies being formed, and it was because they didn't know, you know, so that there's a need for that. But um, what Paul prays is, is that God would give them complete knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And though Paul doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit, he says God, though he doesn't specifically mention the Holy Spirit, we know that it is the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth, John 16, 3, uh, says that the Spirit of Truth will come and he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So no matter what the situation is where someone comes to Christ, we don't necessarily have to be concerned because it is the Holy Spirit that ultimately guides us in understanding who God is. You know, it's one thing to know about God. To know information about God is another thing to know him. To know him, his heart, his will. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us know him. Know his heart. Know his will. You can know him. You can know his heart. You're supposed to. Because uh, if you believe in Jesus, you're his child. He wants you to know. And so uh, people are able to find God and grow in knowledge and wisdom because the Holy Spirit guides them. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You've given us the Holy Spirit. Paul then says, Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn 
to know God better and better. Notice that it is this revelation or this um, understanding of God uh, that precedes um, pr- uh, uh, producing fruit, so us changing the way we act. So belief before behavior. Understand that that's sort of the sequence that's going on here. It's belief before behavior. And uh, <clears throat> right belief promotes right behavior. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, come up with this tension inside of following Jesus. I, come, I have this tension all the time where uh, I want to change habits. I want to change things I do. I want to be a better husband, a better, better father, a better leader, a better pastor. But it's really hard for me to do it. And uh, yeah, I've read the books, like Atomic Habits. Like, it's just like, this is how you do it. You have to form habits, micro habits, that reinforce bigger habits. And then you change yourself, and it's awesome. And I tried that. It's hard. I just still can't do it because <laughs> I'm so inconsistent, because I'm so fickle. I am like dust. And uh, I believe the reason why we are unable to change our behavior is because the real problem isn't behavior. It's the beliefs that reinforce the behavior. Because if you don't believe that you are a dearly loved, fully approved child of God, it's hard for you to be at peace with God, to trust him, to believe that his will is good enough for you, to give your time to him, to follow his disciplines. If you don't believe that, if you don't, and and by believe, again, it's not information, it's truly receiving that. If that's not there, it's going to be really hard to adjust your behavior. It's belief uh, before behavior. Right belief promotes right behavior. And that's really my hope for you here at Wonder Church or in the room or watching online. It's that not just that you'd get information about God and not just that you'd get self-help talks, how you improve your life, some habits. Uh, and, and there's a place for that too, by the way. Like I'm not, and I'm just trying to be, you know, whatever. Um, but, but our heart is that you'd, you'd encounter God, that you'd know him that he would deal with the real core of you, of me, of us. So Paul then says his second prayer. He says, uh, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. So endurance and patience is a very common theme in the New Testament. Uh, Very common for the writers to say, hey, you know, Christians, those who believe in Jesus, have endurance, be patient, just persevere. And um, he, that's for good reason, you know, that that is a common theme. It's because Jesus said himself that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So, yes, um, there's a lot of um, difficulty with following Jesus. Uh, and so, yeah, we need to endure. And the Colossians needed to endure. Um, but what's interesting to me is that right after this endurance prayer, he says, may you be filled with joy. Paul, Paul associates the endurance with joy. I've noticed uh, that sometimes we can be following Jesus and be experiencing persecution and become obsessed with it. Just like, oh, I'm persecuted suffering for Jesus, you know, and, and, and it's just, the, there's no smiling, it's just stoic. I struggle with that, honestly. I, I'm like an anti-hype guy, 
Um, I, and if you've been a part of Wonder Church for any amount of time, you'll probably get this from me, that I'm really not an excitement guy. Uh, I, I just like to show up. And if sometimes if people are too excited, I'm just like, why are you so excited? Just calm down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, and it's sort of because um, I, I, I find it attractive, the stoic people, you know, that are just like, they're driven doing my thing, you know, <laughs> and, and that's just what they do. They, they experience persecution. They just pull, they just push through. And um, indeed, one of the fruits of the Spirit is endurance. It's patience. But we need not forget that another fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. We, we know that God is doing things in our life, not just when we endure, but when we endure with joy. That's when God's power is most evident in us. Not just when we put our head down and just, uh, following Jesus is so hard, you know, and, and, and just keep going. Like, oh, great, good job. But, but when you can lift your head up and be like, it's hard, but I've got all I need. He has made me alive in Christ. I, I, my heart is full. Even in the dark night of the soul, I know he's with me. And it's not too heavy for me. I can still have joy. Um, Paul and Silas were great models of this in Acts 16, 25, when they were imprisoned for their faith. What were they doing? Singing and praising God with joy in hymns. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be annoying people. So, yeah, so I don't know if you, any of you know what I'm talking about. The person that's like, you just just stop being so joyful. Just ah, everything is just just stop. Okay, like I can't. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the joy that's you know deep down in our heart, a joy. There is a lightness and a levity and enjoying of God. And by the way, that's that Paul I believe mentions it here specifically because he is combating again asceticism, the sort of idolizing of being stoic. That's not what God has called us to be. It's not, call, it's not what he's called you to be and you to do. He wants you to enjoy the life he has given you. He wants you, you to enjoy him. And when we do that, it says, uh, strengthened with all his glorious power. His glorious power is revealed when we enjoy him, when we have joy amidst trials. His glorious power is evident not just in our endurance, but in our joy as we endure. He then wraps up uh, this section, this, this intro to Colossians, and he says, um, for he has rescued us. For he has rescued us. From the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What a powerful two verses. Uh, four words here that are very um, salvific in nature, meaning they're words that um, sort of help us understand what exactly Jesus has accomplished for us. The first word is rescued. He has rescued us. And um, I was just thinking about it during worship today. I can't even count all the things he has rescued me from. I don't think I'll ever be able to finish counting all the things. I don't think we will ever know all of the things that he has saved us from. 
we, we see things only from our perspective, just, just so limited. You know, I saw in me, he saved me from depression, from isolation, from just from performance anxiety, from, from, from suicidal tendencies, from cutting, from all of this stuff. He saved me, but even more than that, he saved the soul that was lost. You know, he saved me from death. He saved me from sin. He saved me from the dominions of darkness. He saved me from hell, from wrath. He saved me from a, a, a trajectory that I was on. And he saved all of us from so many things, uncountable, unknowable, just insurmountable, all of these things that he has rescued us from. The cup that Jesus drank for us, all the things that were in that cup, the wrath of God, he took it for us. He has rescued us. Uh, that Greek word there, rescued, uh, by the way, the New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek, ancient, ancient language, so it was translated to English. The original word here, rescued, is erusato, which does mean it means liberate, to save, to deliver, to rescue, all of the things. Just think about, just for a second, what are the things that he has rescued you from? Uh, Paul specifies something that he has rescued us from. He says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Now that word construction is also seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, verse 53, Jesus said, uh, it, it was, it was uh, so Jesus is betrayed um, and there, he's about to be um, uh, taken to the cross to, to um, be tried and then to the cross. And so uh, he's telling these soldiers, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. So it's the same word construction, time the power of darkness reigns. So when it says kingdom of darkness in Colossians 1, it's not just referring to kingdom of darkness like, like, a, like a space, like a property or something like that. It's specifically referring to the authority of darkness, the domain of of darkness, the rule of darkness in this world. And sometimes we don't think about that. You know, we, we, maybe you don't think about that because it's just the world you live in and we don't think it's, it's ruled by darkness. But, but we are taught in scripture that it's not neutral, the world that we live in, that it is dark. Ephesians 6.12 says that we do not fight against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's not neutral. And we are dominated. And so when it says that uh, uh, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, it's referring to the domain of darkness. All the things unseen that rule our minds, our thoughts, our tendencies towards sin that seek to remove us of purpose tell us that there is no, there is no meaning in life. You got to just make it up as you go. That's all the domain of darkness. He has rescued us from that. He has rescued us from the crushing influence of sin. And then there's a third word, I'm sorry, a second word here, and transferred us. That word transferred, um, it's used in the secular Roman literature to describe when 
uh, like um, in wartime, when a, when a country gets conquered, um, you transfer people to that country. So it's like a new citizenship type situation going on. They're living in a new place, new home, new rulership, new citizenship, new nationality. Everything is new in this country. Same, same word being used. So it's a transfer. And uh, so, so the image is that we are transferred from the domain, the rule, the authority of darkness that dominates our minds, influences our actions, that dominates, that enslaves. We are transferred into a new kingdom. And what is that kingdom? Into the kingdom of his dear son. His dear son. Um, the word dear son uh, is, uh, it has this flavor of, um, in the Gospels, it's used a couple times as well, and, um, but it's translated beloved, dearly beloved son. So it's the same sort of um, tone here, the kingdom of his beloved, the beloved. And in this kingdom of the beloved, we are also his loved children. It's a t- completely different kind of authority, a completely different kind of leadership, a totally different king. Another thing that's pretty cool, I just want to mention here, um, and actually in just a moment, I'm going to ask Madison to come up and play. We're going to wrap up in just a moment. Um, Transferred is uh, perfect past tense. So meaning it is a completed action. And uh, there's a lot that could be said there. Um, We could... (laughs) We're just not going to go into it, but, um, you know, in eschatology, which is the study of the end times or the time from when Jesus ascended to all the way to the, to the end of history, um, it's called eschatology. So we are currently in eschatology. We are in the end times right now. Um, it's, it's, uh, there's this phrase that has been adopted, um, very used commonly. It's um, that we are in an already, not yet. So we're where Jesus has already accomplished for us everything, but we have not yet seen all of it be fulfilled. There has not been a consummation of everything. Um, but Paul here uses this word transferred in a past tense to speak to that it has already happened. It has already happened. You are not just on your way to a new country, a new rulership. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you're transferred. You're not transferred once you get your act together. You're not transferred once you behave a certain way. You're transferred the moment you put your faith in Jesus. You become beloved. You are no longer under the rule or domain of darkness. You have nothing to be afraid of. No waves, no rulers, no influences, no things seen, no things unseen. You're transferred already. The last thing, last word here. I'm sorry, no, no, third word. Who purchased our freedom? So, So we're talking about um, the dear son. Who's the who? <laughs> A little Dr. Seuss for you. Who, who? <laughs> Who's who? Jesus is who. Um, and uh, it's important for us to note here that we're now talking about Jesus, the beloved son, the savior of the world, 
because Colossians is known as the most Christological letter in the entire New Testament. Paul focuses on the person of Jesus Christ um, as he's everything. He's the cornerstone of our faith. And it says here, who, Jesus, who purchased our freedom. That word purchased, um, it's also translated redemption, redeemed, who redeemed. Redemption is a very theological word um, for those who believe in Jesus and our faith. It's used a lot. But what it literally means is, is uh, to pay for someone to be released from captivity. So often, again, used in wartime language, uh, referring to people of war, persons of war in captivity, uh, soldiers, POWs, and them being purchased back, them being uh, there's a trade or something, and they're being brought out of captivity. That's the, the image of redemption or a slave being set free or a penalty for a crime being paid for. We were under the dominion of darkness. We were slaves to sin. We had no power, no ability to, to release ourselves from the domain of this world. And redemption is what Jesus has accomplished for us. Redemption is how we were transferred. And the thing about redemption is that it comes at a price. There's a cost. And what is the cost of of the Christian redemption? What do we believe the cost was? Well, Paul says it explicitly in Ephesians 1.7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Same word, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Redemption came at a price and it was the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. He his blood was poured out so that we would be set free. We would be redeemed. And then he forgave our sins as far as the east is from the west. Uh, <clears throat> at this time, I'm going to ask um, for us to begin to distribute the communion elements. We're going to take communion. I feel like it's really appropriate as we're talking about the price that was paid for our redemption for us to um, look at taking communion. And while those are being distributed, uh, just tell you one more story. So at the end of our trip um, on vacation, uh, Madison actually, Madison and I, because uh, we, we were there, all, a bunch of the families went and um, we got these, these boogie boards and we were trying to do some, some uh, skimboarding on the beach and it wasn't working. I actually like hurt my back. I'm like, I'm an old man. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we're like trying to, you know, do it and run and jump on it. That's not working at all. And I actually fell into the water, got all wet. We were fully clothed, like sweatshirts and everything, jackets. And, um, and uh, so uh, Madison just was like, well, might as well just jump in. I was like, are you serious, brother? It's like, yeah, let's just do it. And uh, I was like, man, I feel like a young man again. <laughs> Three kids. I feel like I'm just uh, just so old, so tired all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, not that if you're old, you're tired all the time. I'm just, yeah, sorry. Um, 
So we uh, headed in towards the waves and they're crashing. It's kind of scary. I think there was a storm further out to sea, so the waves are really big. And my daughter, Lila, who saw the crashing waves before, who experienced the power of it and became terrified of the, the dominion of the waves. And then as a, as a result of that fear, it changed her behavior. She no longer had joy. She no longer wanted to do, have anything to do with that. Uh, she saw me, her father, and Madison walking out towards the waves. And what did she do? She came running, screaming, Daddy, no! She's so scared for me. And uh, I, I remember um, looking out and seeing her on the beach and just fear in her eyes. So concerned we're going to be lost to sea. And so uh, I was like, Lila, it's okay. Just watch. And then Madison and I started boogieing, <laughs> boogie boarding. And we had the boogie board and we just jumped on the wave and we're, and we just pretty much all the way up almost to where Lila was. And we're laughing and, and uh, smiling and everything. And Lila saw that her father had authority in a way, authority over these waves. And her countenance changed, everything changed. And she actually was no longer afraid of the waves. She wanted to join me. She's not going to right now, but <laughs> and and that is that is in a way what Jesus has done for us. We don't have to be afraid of this world, the dominions of this world, whatever they may be, because He has overcome them all, and He has transferred us into His kingdom, in which He is the ruler, and He has forgiven our sins and made us right with God. Thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you like, subscribe, and share it with a friend? 